This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mother of four, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Pain Show. Jesse, we have some breaking news about 23andMe that I have not told you. I've been I've been holding this. <laughs> oh wait, now when you hear what this is going to be, that's going to that's like a pun. Okay, the asparagus thing? Yes. Do you know that it was not about smelling whether you could smell asparagus? I thought it was. In your results, it's actually whether your urine smells like asparagus or s- smells. What? Yes. I'm, I got to look that up. Yes. Where, where did you find that? Multiple up? people have sent me this because I was saying, really? Some people can't smell asparagus. Apparently when certain people eat asparagus, it causes smells in their urine and other people it doesn't. Interesting. Is that what it says on your thing? Um, now I don't um, really want to no. ask what your results were. <laughs> you're in trouble. Oh my word. Did you just say you're in trouble? <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking to Jesse all about, not his 23andMe results, we're going to be talking about finances and how he has helped our kids learn about financial responsibility, opening bank accounts, budgeting, all of that. Because we got a question that someone asked if we could do a podcast on this. And I thought it would be a fantastic topic because he's done such a great job. By the way, Jesse is still sitting here holding his phone, looking at the 23andMe results with his mouth open. He's completely not listening to anything. Oh, I'm, I'm listening. 
you cannot look at your phone and listen to me at the same time. We know that you have something that you're going to share. What is it? I just pulled it up. Can you smell what I smell after? Mm, you're right. <laughs> Can you say that again? Said, what, 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 what did you say? What did you just say? I, I said you were right. I didn't say I was wrong. I said you were right. Anyway. That is true. Interesting. So I don't need to know what your results were. Well, that's a good thing that I don't have asparagus very often. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to talk about what's saving my life. And now I'm like thinking if someone is listening to this podcast episode for the first time. 79% can smell the odor. 21 cannot smell the odor. I don't even know how to segue from this, but for what's saving my life this week. For what's saving my life this week, I was going to talk about pelvic floor therapy. I feel like I need to pick something else. <laughs> I'm drinking coffee right now and just about spit it out. Oh. What's saving my life? <laughs> Pelvic floor therapy. Asparagus. <laughs> Pelvic floor therapy. For those of you who are unfamiliar with pelvic floor therapy, it's basically just a way to heal your pelvic floor. And I thought, What's your pelvic floor? <laughs> you know what? I probably don't even know all the details on this. We need a professional to come and talk yeah. about this. Okay, would you would you help us to stay on track now? Because you were told. <laughs> Let's bring something that is <laughs> profitable and helpful and valuable. Okay, pelvic floor therapy. I thought it was something that people just did after they had a baby, and I hadn't heard of it until probably the last year, I would say. And then after I had Kirsten, my chiropractor highly suggested it. And so I knew that one of my sisters had done it and she highly recommended it. So I went to the first appointment, not really knowing what to expect. A lot of it is them training you how to use your muscles well so that you are strengthening those muscles, strengthening those muscles, healing them, because especially in pregnancy, your, just all of your joints, ligaments, muscles, everything just gets very, what's the word? Loose. Loose is a good word. And so it can, if you don't strengthen and heal your pelvic floor after pregnancy, you can end up having a lot of issues down the road, especially mm-hmm. as you get older. And those issues actually can involve urine. Yeah, incontinence, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> like when you're jumping on the trampoline, mm-hmm. um, those types of things. And so many women, they just talk about it like it's just a fact of life. Like that's just mm-hmm. what, what, what happens after you have a baby. But I have discovered through pelvic floor therapy that that doesn't have to be the case. And so I have loved my therapist. She's just been so helpful to me and kind of retraining my brain. And it, it just little things like how I hold Kirsten when I nurse her so that I'm sitting in a position that is actually not putting a lot of pressure on my pelvic floor or how I stand up, how I bend mm-hmm. down when I pick something up, different things like that, that I have never thought about before. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning that I have done things wrong for years and years. And she said, we're kind of repairing damage that's been done for, mm-hmm. you know, that after my first birth, I never healed my pelvic floor. And so then I had three more births. So we have a lot of undoing of bad habits and then things to heal and stuff. But the cool thing is, is that 
you don't have to go right after you've had a baby. You can go years later and it can still be Mm -hmm. very effective. And the other thing that I've discovered is that it's not just for post-pregnancy. It can also be great for women who've never had a baby before Mm -hmm. or before you even get pregnant or later on in your life. And so um, if you struggle with pain or incontinence issues or different things like that, I cannot believe that this whole episode is (laughs) this theme. But anyway, I would highly suggest looking into pelvic floor therapy. And also the cool thing that we discovered is that it's covered by insurance Mm -hmm. because my chiropractor referred us to the therapist and in our plan, 20 visits were covered. So it might be a treatment plan that you can go through without having to pay money out of pocket or very little money out of pocket. And it could be something that could really impact your life in a way to relieve a lot of pain and that sort of thing. So one thing I was thinking about is when we go to the chiropractor, one thing that they do is try to get us to move well and the pelvic floor, that musculature is the basis of all movement Mm -hmm. because you know, your tailbone is the anchor anchor point for a lot of muscles. Mm -hmm. And if that is all out of whack, then your movement is going to be all out of whack. Mm -hmm. And so it, it makes complete sense that you're able to do it and whenever, you know, whether trauma or birth or it's, it's a really good idea. And like what you were saying, it's not just for women. Apparently um, they offer it for men too. So yes, I'm learning so much because I've talked about it a little bit on Instagram and I've actually heard from hundreds of women who have done pelvic floor therapy and of all the hundreds of women that I've heard from who have sung the praises of it and how much of a difference it's made in their life, only one woman has said she went and didn't end up having a good experience. Mm. So I'd say that's a pretty high percentage of people that would recommend it. Mm-hmm. Josie, what's saving your life this week? Well, we downloaded, I say we, um, Catherine and I downloaded an app on my phone uh, for audiobooks called Scribbid. And it is a it's kind of similar to the apps that I had used before through the library. And like the Libby app. Like the Libby. Well, I didn't use Libby. I used Overdrive. But okay. we were downloading it for her so that she could listen to some books during the summer that she was required to read for school. And just thinking outside the box and so she could um, consume those books. And um, somebody had written in and recommended some authors for me to listen to or to read based on the genres of, of uh, books that I like to read with Brad Thor and Jack Carr. And so I was able to go and find the first book and series of one of those authors and listening to it and, and thoroughly enjoying it now. It took a while to get into it, but it's kind of dated. The book is from like back in the mid nineties. It's about the Palestinian conflict. And one of the main characters now towards the end of the book is, Yasser Arafat. So I thought maybe Bill Clinton would show up, but they renamed the president. So, so you just did something. You combine what's saving your life and, and what, what, I was, what I'm reading, what you're mm-hmm. reading. Mm-hmm. I'm impressed. It's called, it's called efficiency, but you didn't tell us the name of the book. It's called the kill artist. The author is Daniel Silva. Why am I not surprised that it has kill? <laughs> I've heard of that author before. I think that is that's I think that's someone who's like a very well known author. I think, I think so. like I've seen the books at the grocery he, store. He's or got a lot of books in this particular series. You said that it's a little bit edgy. Yeah, there's language, um, subject matter in the book is edgy, and you may think, well, 
the subject matter in the the books that you've other books that you like are is edgy as well. Um, like with Jack Carr's book, he gets kind of graphic as far as some of the killing scenes, but um, this is more like sexual graphic. So, so you would say it's kind of on the PG thirteen level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I was going to have Catherine listen to it with me because she likes kind of the adventure and that kind of genre as well. I said no. I'm I'm not going to listen to it with her. And one thing I wanted to mention about Scribid, you can get a free trial of it. Is it a 30 day trial? Is that 30 day trial? And then after that, I think it's nine ninety nine a month. And what is different about it than the Libby app, which the Libby app and the Overdrive app that we talked about is free, but with Scribid, you can get any book. So on the Libby app, you're going to have to wait your turn. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to put it on hold and wait until it's available. It's like a library. Yes. And because it is through the library and sometimes it will take, I mean, it can, I have waited for six months or longer for a book to become available. And the other thing about it is then when it becomes available, you usually have 14 days unless it's a shortened one that you, sometimes you would only have seven mm-hmm. days to listen to it. Whereas with Scribid, you, I assume you can have it as long as you want if you're having the three free 30 day trial, or if you're paying, so you don't have to finish it quickly, but then also you have access to, I'm assuming hundreds of thousands. seems like it. We were able to find all of Catherine's books that she needed. So, yeah. So you're just going to have instantaneous access to a lot more. So Mm -hmm. we'll put a link to that in the show notes and it's scribid, which is S C R I B D.com. And the book that I was going to talk about is by Shanti and Jeff Feldham, and it is called Thriving in Love and Money, Five Game-Changing Insights About Your Relationship, Your Money, and Yourself. And I started reading this book recently, and I have read multiple other books from Shanti and really loved them. She is a researcher, and she thoroughly researches her topics. As in, we're talking thousands of couples that she will have take different surveys and she will hire research firms. And so it's very data driven and very analytical. And so it's fascinating to hear the percentages of couples that fight about money and, you know, what types of specific things are they fighting about when they're fighting about money. And There's just so many different graphs and charts in the book that is very fascinating, but it goes much deeper than, hey, you need to set up a budget or let's talk about the spender and the saver. It's really going to the root of where the money issues often come from, because I think sometimes, many times, money is more of the surface Mm -hmm. issue and there is a much deeper root underneath, whether that is fear, whether that is selfishness whether that is insecurity. There's so many different things that can be the root of that. And so your tension on the surface that is related to, you know, whether you're going to buy this thing or not, or why you're frustrated that your spouse went out and spent this money or that your spouse is working too many hours or whatever it is that's related to money, there's usually something much deeper underneath. And so they're really uncovering those roots and talking about that. And it's been very fascinating. And I'm really excited because next week we should be having her on the podcast. She's supposed to be in our area and she's going to come by our house and do a podcast interview. So we will be talking about that much more. So I can't wait to share that with you. 
speaking of money, Jesse, let's talk about kids and finances. And Mm -hmm. the question that came in was from Instagram. And it was Jessica asked, she said, I would love to hear a podcast about the kids finance stuff, like how old they were, how you all manage it with them, eBay. You know, she said, it's just intriguing info as a mom of three that are coming up on these older ages soon. So I've talked a little bit on Instagram about some of the things that our kids have done to earn money, such as Silas has done some things on eBay. Catherine now has her first paying job and I mean, she's done some other things on the side, but this is the mm-hmm. first time where she's an actual official signed con- contractor. And so what you say? Mm-hmm. She's a contractor. Yep. She's signed the contract to be a contractor. And so we've talked about that some, and then I've also talked about different things like paid chores and non-paid chores. But I want to, speaking of kind of getting a little bit deeper than some of those surfacey things, not that those are surfacey in the sense of, fluff or something. But I think that starting with our kids with, when it comes to money management at even a deeper level, I think you've done a really great job of that. And so I just love to pick your brain some and share your wisdom with the world on this. So first off, when do you think that parents should start talking to their kids about money? I'd say as early as possible. I mean, I was thinking back when we were talking about going ahead and doing this little interview when was the first time that I ever started talking about money? And I was thinking about this when I had just taken them to open up savings accounts. And my first account was when I was six. I remember going to the bank with my mom and stepdad at the time and getting my first uh, savings account. And it was kind of a really big deal. I think it was like a, it was like a passbook savings account. And I don't know if I ever put anything in it, but just going through that process and being a part of, a part of that and realizing, okay, that's something that you need to learn and, and kind of almost a rite of passage in a way is saying, hey, yeah, you're to the point where you're responsible. This is something that you do in life. You earn money. You get money as gifts. You need to be a wise steward of it. You need to take care of it. So I've tried to be intentional about talking with the kids as early as possible about being wise stewards with those things that you're with gifts. So, you know, one thing that we started out was using, I think we shortly after we moved here, got those Dave Ramsey kids canisters that he, that I don't know if they sell them anymore, but they were split up into the give, save and spend buckets. And all three of the kids have them and, or had them. And that kind of got the thinking in their mind of this is what I do with the money. Any money that I get, I need to split it up, you know, have a certain percentage of give, have a certain, and they just slowly got into that mindset that it's by default. Okay. How much am I going to give? How much am I going to spend? How much am I going to save in setting, talking with them with what they're saving? Okay. What are you saving for? You need to have a goal. You need to have a target that you're saving for. You need to have a thing that you're trying to save for, not just saving for saving sake. And so you remember as a boy being six years old and opening up that account and you've done the same thing with our kids, taking them to the bank. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there's an age when 
you should be taking your child to the bank to open up an account? Or is there a level of maturity that you should be looking for to say, okay, my child is ready for this? I don't think it's an age necessarily. When you're dealing with money, it is maturity. You know, can they, I don't, don't want to say keep a secret, but is it something where they have loose lips about? You don't want children going around talking about, you know, bank account balances and what have you, you know, learning to keep certain things close to the vest kind of, you don't have to. Um, and that's a sign of maturity. That's a sign that, yeah, they're ready to, to move forward. But um, also when they're showing responsibility in other areas, it's just another way of being responsible. And so then with the kids, did you give, have them set up checking accounts or savings accounts or both? I did savings accounts and then I have my name on those accounts as well. And any money that they get, we go in and deposit in that account. And then if they have something that big that they want to buy that, that they've saved up for, then we can go get it and withdraw the money, take them through the process of filling out the withdrawal slips. When we need to deposit money, show them, take them through the process of filling out the deposit slips going up to the bank counter, depositing the cash um, or withdrawing the cash or here recently and just taught them how to cash a check. We recently paid them for some chores and some extra jobs that they did. And instead of paying them in cash, I paid them in check because I want them to learn that process. You know, I, it's kind of a, it's a dying art right now, but it's still something that I think that should be learned. And then when it comes to the money that they have in those accounts, do you have a budget set up for them? Do you have some type of spreadsheet? You know, how have you talked to them about that? No, as far as the savings account that they have, no, um, because the savings account is not something that money goes in and out of on a regular basis. Okay, it's it's not a liquid account. It's stays in it stays in the bank, earns interest for a reason, and. That's building that mindset of, you know, plunking away money for a goal. And then if they have something that they want to spend where it is going in and out, they just take cash out. Now for Catherine, now that she has her job, we went ahead and opened up a checking account for her. And again, it was an account that I had to be on, um, but she has access to a debit card. And um, that is one we'll talk about, about setting a budget for and, so you have this money coming in. Why don't you transfer so much per month back to your savings account or even do an automatic transfer? It is uh, on our online banking and showing her how to do that, how to have access to that. And um, that's a good discipline for being able to pay bills later, setting up auto drafts and being able to track your money. Now, so we, so we haven't gone into the budgeting aspect now with Silas. I have as far as for his eBay, um, he wanted to go ahead and set up an, a YNAB account, um, a sub account in my account, and so that he could track some the income and expenses for eBay. Because that just really speaks yeah. to... He's definitely the nerd. <laughs> who he is. But for instance, with Caitlin, I know that she prefers cash, mm-hmm. and she actually created her own cash envelopes. Mm-hmm. that she wanted because she wanted to do it that way. So um, would you say 
that you should have, you know, your kids all need to do it a certain way, or do you feel like it's okay to kind of go with what is their personality type? What's going to work best for them? I think you go with what works for them because if think about it, when, when we're dealing with money, we don't like people telling us what to do. Oh, really? Yeah. Or other people don't like us telling them what to do because what we've learned is they, they need to own the process. It's their money. It needs to be their process and their system. What I am doing is just trying to build up that muscle from an early age to where it's a default and where it's a strong muscle. So, for instance, Caitlin creating those um, envelopes, she came up with that all on her own. She came up with the with the categories that she wants in those envelopes. And she also came up with the design. There, there was a specific <laughs> intentionality between behind the design of each one of the envelopes she explained to me, which it just made me laugh that she put so much thought and effort into how she designed them to make them pretty, but it wasn't just pretty for pretty's sake. Really? You'll have to ask her. Yes, I will. And so when it comes to things like your kids earning money, I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past when we talked about setting your kids up for financial success. And we will link to that in the show notes, because I think if you haven't listened to that episode, that's a really good foundation for what we're talking today. Cause it's kind of taking it to the next level of teaching your kids how to practically as they grow older, learn that money mm-hmm. management. But do you feel like all kids should be earning money by a certain age? Um, how, how have you approached that? with the kids? Cause I know you guys have had a lot of conversations about money. Not really. As far as by a certain age, it, it really, it's not age driven. It's maturity driven. You know, what can your kids handle when you were asking about the budget and think about with, with Catherine, with her job, I was thinking back and I didn't learn to budget until I was about 16. Um, I remember my dad helping me and sitting me down uh, cause he used a green uh, ledger and would always do the budget in the green ledger. So um, he had me, and the way he started teaching me was to, uh, okay, this is the electric bill. You pay the electric bill for the, for the house, you know, for I didn't know what, like three, four months, I think. But then I started up my lawn mowing business and I got my own green ledger and created my own budget and having that business and with that income, helping build that muscle myself. Now my budgeting has changed since then. I'd no longer use the green ledger though. I still have them. And we used them mm-hmm. when we used I was them just a thinking, long time. That's what you used when we were first married. Mm-hmm. And probably because your dad set you up and taught you how to do it like that. Yep. And I think of just, you know, looking back and thinking if you had not learned that skill, mm-hmm. how hard it would have been for us to stay out of debt and mm-hmm. live on as little as we did. And so just for parents listening, I cannot stress enough what a gift this is that you can give your kids to teach them these skills, even if they're reluctant, even mm -hmm. if they kind of push back, even if they don't want to do this kind of requiring it of them. And I would say you can just, I don't know, tell me if you agree with this, but starting earlier rather than later, because I feel like a lot of times by the time, you know, you said you were 16 and you wanted to do this because mm-hmm. I know you, you have that kind of nerd mentality. But for someone like me who maybe by the time I'm 16, I would be like, 
nah, like you were talking about, you know, somebody telling you what to do with your money. Whereas when you're younger, right. kind of having that save, spend, give mentality of kids learning, oh, we don't just every single penny that we make, we go spend it on candy, right. you know, just kind of teaching that mentality so that by the time they're 11, 12, 13, they can start thinking of setting up a bank account mm-hmm. or, or, I mean, you could do it even younger than that, but so that then they're getting into how to set a budget, how to follow a budget, all of that. So by the time they're 16, 18, 20, mm-hmm. it's not something that's going to be really hard to do. It's going to just be kind of, oh, that's just what you do. Right. And honestly, that's not something that I learned early on. Yeah, I might just open up that bank account early on, but I remember, you know, nine, 10, <laughs> treating my mom like an ATM going up and, and asking for money, going around and bikes and going to the convenience store and, and getting stuff and not having that understanding that no, something needs to be earned mm-hmm. and uh, taking advantage of people like that. Well, I think learning the value of money, one thing with Catherine having this job and getting, you know, money, a set paycheck now mm-hmm. and her, now valuing money according to that paycheck. It has really made a difference for her mentality, I would Mm -hmm. say, because then she's saying, oh, when I spend, you know, X amount of money, this is how many hours I have to work. Yep. And I cannot, (laughs) I know I just said this like with the, but parents, if you can instill this in your kids, Mm -hmm. this is a skill and a mentality that could literally change their life. And honestly, that's not something that I had talked to her about, but I, we went out last night and got some fireworks and the whole time she was thinking, Oh, this is so many hours of, of work. That's literally going up in smoke. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm impressed that she's actually thought that through. And that's something that I want to then teach to our other kids because Mm -hmm. I just, it was something that I realized that is how I always think. I always think how many hours do I have to work in order to, or if I'm going to invest in this thing, how many hours is that going to cost me? Mm -hmm. Is it worth the cost? Is it worth the return on the investment? And I do it on the flip side of saving money. How much am I saving per hour to do this type of whatever, you know, intentionally trying to save money, for instance, on groceries, Mm -hmm. you know, how much time am I spending and how much money am I saving? And is, what is the hourly wage for that? So I kind of flip it both ways, but this has really helped me with running the business, Mm -hmm. making decisions with the business, and then deciding what kinds of saving strategies I'm going to employ just in our home, Mm -hmm. in the business and all of that. Is it worth it? Would it be worth it to hire someone to do this thing for me, that's going to save me four hours. If I have to pay them X amount of money, what is the return going to be? And so that's on a much bigger scale, but I feel like it starts out small though. It starts out small with, I remember just handling money and having, I taught violin lessons. I worked as a waitress and that money that came in, my parents had me pay for a lot of my, Mm -hmm. you know, my clothes and my shoes and gifts that I wanted to buy and places that I, you know, wanted to go to things that I wanted to do. And I so appreciate that because mm-hmm. it taught me to really think before I spend. And it, it gives you the mindset that money is a tool mm-hmm. and you need to use that tool wisely and not just blow it. Yeah. 
So thank you so much, Jesse. I really appreciate we did not talk about ahead of time what we were going to share. Nope. So it, was, it was fun to get to sort of feel like I'm interviewing you as a new guest that I don't know very well, <laughs> even though we've been married for 17 years, seven, yep. almost 17 and a half years. So I've learned so much about money management from you and I've loved watching you really invest time and effort teaching that to the kids. And I'm excited to see where it's going to take them in their life someday. And we'll continue on with this topic of finances next week. Hopefully if all goes as planned when we have Shanti Feldham on and we talk about marriage and money and then go deeper than just finances and managing finances as a couple, but really the, your relationship, money, yourself, your personality, what is at the root of the money tensions and how can we do a better job to get on the same page as a couple or in other relationships. I was thinking also in business relationships, um, that type of thing where it's important that you understand where people are coming from and what their fears and insecurities might be related to money so that it can help you to be a better employer or a better employee and to help your kids as well. Um, for those of you who have kids. So thank you so much for joining us today. And as always, if you have any feedback, any thoughts you want to um, enlighten us on asparagus <laughs> and urine, we welcome your feedback. You can send an email to crystal at moneysavingmom.com. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 